Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Yo, what's up, Surf Splendor listeners? Welcome back to the show. I'm David Scales, hosting once again. Um, Big show today, actually. Got a full episode of Surf News for you, and then we additionally have an interview with Rob Machado that my co-host Scott Bass conducted, um, chatting with Rob about his new involvement with Firewire Surfboards, um, which essentially is that Rob Machado shapes surfboards. He has been shaping for a few years now, and now he has a line of boards that'll be available via Firewire Construction. But it's about 45 minutes long, I think, the interview, so they talk about a lot of additional things, not just those surfboards. So it's cool to get Rob's perspective on some modern things that are taking place right now in surfing. And then uh, this episode of Surf News We cover all of the things that are going on on the North Shore right now and in the last two weeks since Scott and I have gotten together. So big episode. Enjoy it. Thanks for all the uh, engagement on social media and on the website. I know Beach Grit posted um, the episode that I did with them, Derek Riley and Chaz Smith, on their website. And um, seems like we've gotten a spike in downloads since then. People commenting that they're going through the archives, listening to back episodes of this show, all that sort of stuff. So if you are new here, welcome. Um, SurfSplendorPodcast.com is our website. We post all of the ancillary material for this episode, the things that we discuss, the videos, the photos, the links to the articles, all of that is available on the website. And... um, archive of all past episodes 110 past episodes are all on our website as well available for free and then if you're listening to this in itunes or stitcher or a podcasting app those all list the most recent 50 episodes for free Uh, but if you want anything prior to the last 50 again surfsplendorpodcast.com has everything you need and you can leave comments on each individual show's page um, engage in the conversation there i moderate all of that and then, of course, follow us at Surf Splendor. And if you really want to do us a solid, um, leave a review about the show in iTunes. Rate it, review it. That just helps our ranking, and it helps other people to find the show. All right? We ask that you do that, and then we'll just keep pumping out the content for you. Deal? Deal. All right? Without further ado, enjoy today's show. Or if you'd rather not listen to Scott and I's banter, just skip forward to about the 65-minute mark, and that is where you can find the Rob Machado piece. Um, It's just tacked on to the end of Scott and I's show. All right, enjoy today's show. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Any idea who this is? No clue. Yeah, guy. Down the line, Surf Talk Radio. It's Monday, December 14th. And we are broadcasting the day before round three of the Pipeline Masters is going to get underway, we assume, which would be tomorrow, Tuesday. And uh, I asked David if he knew who this was. And yeah, freaking guy, he didn't know. His voice sounds familiar now that they're singing. The intro wasn't familiar. 
pretty, it's an obscure song from a very well-known band. Okay. And it's pure 73, like it's, it's yeah. way out of your wheelhouse, maybe. That's in my wheelhouse, still. Anyway, this is uh, Fleetwood Mac. Oh, wow. From an early Fleetwood Mac album. Yeah. Yeah. I've been revisiting some Fleetwood recently. You know that song, Hypnotize? Yeah. I didn't know that was a Fleetwood Mac song until yesterday when it was on my Sirius. And I, I, that's just really? one of those random songs that must They've have been an early Fleetwood Mac Pretty song. deep catalog, though. Yeah. They got a ton of stuff. Well, dude. Uh, yeah. So, Surf Talk Radio. Surf Lee Scale, Talk Scott Bass. Radio. I'm We're broadcasting live as I step on your speech there from the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center in San Clemente, the Smithsonian of the surf world. Surfingheritage.org is their website. So we're huge fans. Sitting in the library right now, sounded by surrounded by leather-bound chairs and books. and It feels quite academic. It does, yes. I feel fortunate to be here. So, man, I feel like recording every two weeks, obviously, it's necessity. You know, we can't really get together every week, but so much has happened in the past two weeks. Um, with the Hawaii season in full swing, I really feel like this is arguably the best Hawaiian season I can remember. Like in recent history, in terms of the contests that have been taking place, they've been phenomenal. And then on a day-to-day basis, the free surfing sessions, like all of the footage that we're seeing, the Instagrams, photos, all of it, it's like, it's pumping nonstop. The last couple of days have been pretty slow, but otherwise we've had A plus media coming out of Hawaii for the last month. Well, that's interesting, you know, because in some regards, it speaks to the power of the age that we live in, the technological age, the information age, where we're getting so much stuff all the time. Yeah. I mean, just 10 years ago, we weren't getting this much stuff, even five years ago. Totally. So it's kind of, when you say, look, I feel like this is the best season ever. It's also the, you know, you could assign that to the fact that it's also this time and place in history where information is at our fingertips right now guys are waking up and surfing and sending instagrams of where they're at and so part of the reason perhaps that you feel like it's the greatest season in hawaiian history undoubtedly what you mentioned is true there's great content great contests great surf so far this season lots of energy in the water Uh, but it could also be tied into the fact that you're getting it so quick i mean you just didn't get this stuff for instance, the year that Bruce Irons won the the Quicksilver in Memory of Eddie Aikau. Oh yeah, I mean there, that was an insane season too, right? Completely. And um, you know, you just weren't getting instant access to everything that was going down every session from Australians to Brazilians to Hawaiians to North Americans. You know, there just wasn't this uh, information. Yeah, I fully agree. It's kind of a confluence of all those things, but. I'm super excited, like on a day-to-day basis. And then the waves have been pumping here too. So it's like, we've had so much surf in California and then get get to the office, check social media, check the internet. And it's like, oh my gosh, I could just be completely enveloped by surfing all day, every day lately. It's amazing. Well, as I back up a little bit regarding uh, Instagram and video and information that's out there, a couple of shows ago, I spoke about the video that had the Star Wars figures. Star Wars is going to happen soon, right? Star Wars, the movie launches. There's a bunch of hype around it. I know. I had to give up my place in line just to come record this. (laughs) Oh, my God. You were were like, you popped up a tent in front of the AMC theaters and you were sitting out there? I did, yeah. That's, camping out you know what, all that week does long. not surprise me because i asked you before you seem like a trekkie i know you're not but you seem like a guy that would be all into star wars or i guess trekkie is a different thing star trek oh, well first of all i'm offended that you would even confuse those two things see what i mean you are one or the other aren't you you 
could not be farther from the truth. Actually, right. I, I actually have no clue about any of it. Well, um, I sh- I shared a video that had the Star Wars troopers um, riding the River Seven, mm-hmm. and I said that it was in Germany or something. And believe me, I got a ton of emails going. Your geography is lame. And I'll take the blame because I think I was the one who said, oh, isn't that in Germany? And then you ignore, you're like, yeah, I think it is. So I kind of. I mean, I'm so ignorant. I'm like, you know, Europe, whatever. It's all the same. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, sure enough, you know, uh, we don't want to offend our listeners in Europe and especially in England and in Wales, which is where the. What was the first country there? England? England? England. England. Oh, okay. England with a glow. So anyway, I got some emails. One of them from uh, a guy named Ha, who basically says, uh, Longtime listener, podcast better than ever with DLS, which is a shout out to you. Love that guy. And keep up the good work. But just so you know, the River Seven, and it's pronounced Seven apparently, sits between England and Wales. And that's from a guy named Ha, H U W. And then I'm not sure if his last name is Porthcall or if that's the city in Wales that he's from. <laughs> but uh, Mr. Porthcall, thank you very much for the email. One of the big cities actually in Wales. Uh, kind of in the south, not far from England, is actually Cardiff, which is your local haunt. So multiple Cardiffs around the world. Um, no, I got that email too from a couple different people and a couple of tweets about it too. And I figured you would have gotten it as well. So I didn't actually shame you with it. Then um, I got some. I got an email from Josh Murray, who was super psyched um, on Tom Curran discussion we had oh, a few yeah. times back. And he said an interesting thing happened. Um, I was surfing. I paddled back out through a series of set waves and a surfer came ripping towards me down the line. And I thought to myself, wow, that guy looks like Tom Curran. And as I ducked over the mushy shoulder high wave, just beneath the surfer riding a very mysterious craft. And before I came up to the surface, my heart raced as I realized Tom Curran, Mr. Man himself, just skimmed right over the top of me. I looked back to see Mr. Curran's timeless style and speed grace the face of the wave, including signature full cutbacks all on a skimboard. I quickly looked over at my fellow mates in the water and all our faces were aglow as we realized what was happening. Tom came back out into the lineup via walking out to the tip of the jetty, jumping in and swimming while he pushed his finned skimboard out into the lineup. And that comes from Josh Murray. Josh, thanks for the email. Interesting story. Yeah, and Tom Curran was spotted down in Seaside. You know, Steve Sherman posted the Instagram in Seaside writing that skimboard. And then after that, like a week later, he was surfing Huntington, north side of the pier on the same exact skim. And what he does is he has, um, he swims out, like you kind of, the email just said, he swims out to line up, pushing the skim board in front of him and then like paddles into a wave the same way, kind of swims into the wave, pushing the skim. And then as the wave starts right before it breaks, pulls the skim board under his chest, pops up onto it like in one motion basically, and takes off on a wave and surfs the skim board standing. It's gnarly. And further uh, on that same topic, you know, Rob Machado, we have a Rob Machado interview, by the way, that's coming up at the um, back half of this show. So stay tuned for the Rob Machado interview. And I asked Rob about Tom Kern at Seaside, and he said that what Tom was doing was paddling out on a soft board with the skim board off to the side, dragging it more or less. Right. Once he got out to the lineup, he pushed the soft board out of the way and then did what you said, basically swimming into the wave and then pulling the board underneath his chest as the wave began to break. How weird and cool is Tom Curran, dude? Yeah, I mean, pushing the limits of, you know, interesting craft, which is what we all love. I mean, it's proof positive that there's no such thing as a 
um, bad surfboard. There are magic surfboards, yeah. and those come and go. But there's no such thing as a bad surfboard. It puts a smile on your face. It's a good thing. There's bad boards on given days, but like every board has its day and place, you know. But like I would never think that board would even have a place, you know. It's just so weird. But Tom, and it's funny. Tom's like committed to sorting it out. Like people have been seeing him all up and down the coast writing this thing. And why would he paddle out north side of the pier where it's super crowded? Like there's waves that day up and down the beach. I actually surfed down the beach that day. Didn't realize he was at the pier until my buddy posted an Instagram later in the day. And I was like, dang, I wish I would have surfed north side. Well, I know we have a jam-packed show today. And um, I, I, we did get one other email that I thought was interesting. And I'm just going to rip through it. Go. And it was some topic ideas. Oh, yeah, yeah. And one was... Um, Kelly Slater, give us some more insight into his uh, business ventures with Outer Known and Perps. How are they doing? Um, he suggests we do more business industry news. Um, I agree with that. He says, Scott, you should do more on what's going on with El Nino. Where is it? Boring. And then, yeah, <laughs> science is generally hard. To, yeah, Take the show on the road and do some podcasts up and down the coast occasionally. We do, just nobody knows. <laughs> what happened to surfing in the Olympics? I hope it is not so. Is surfing cool anymore? like it ever was, is supping a fad, I hope so. All of these are topic ideas. Um, oh, will the WSL fail if more Brazilians are on the CT? These all come from Craig, who sent us a series of show ideas, and we appreciate those, and, and we hope to get to many of these. We always seem to be, uh, uh, you know, n never to lack for content. Craig's a longtime listener, actually. He's been to the boardroom show even, and he introduced himself to me at the cool. boardroom show a while back. Um, so yeah, thank you, Craig, yeah, for always enough. tuning in and giving feedback, constructive criticism. He had some uh, ideas sort of regarding your show and my show merging on some level somewhere, but I don't know. Well, yeah. We're too busy to even think about that. Dude, I know. I don't know. I, I We've discussed this in the past. Scott and I only see one another with the microphones in front of our face. He sits down. We don't even say hello. Just bang, record. And then once we stop recording, on our separate ways. Yeah. We don't really like each other. So. <laughs> I, I like you a lot. I think you're a great guy and you've know, done a lot kidding. for the show. Um, we're t I'm 10 years into doing um, radio and podcast surf talk. And um, I would suggest to you that you're the best co-host I've ever had, if not, uh, you know, perhaps maybe tied with somebody. But as far as, um, as, far as uh, your energy level is through <clears throat> the roof. Go on. And that's it. Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> just your energy level. I'm just messing. All right. So, dude. But Billabong Pipeline Masters? Or no, we go to sure. Piahi? No, 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 go. Billabong Pipeline Masters. In here's, here's real quick. I'll yeah. give an intro. Okay. This show is going to be predominantly WSL talk. There's been unbelievable events. We've got the Target Maui Pro. Plus the Machado interview at the end of it. And the Machado interview will be at the end. Uh, Target Maui Pro, the Piahi Challenge, the Sunset event, which we need to recap just the end of it because last time we recorded, it wasn't quite over. And then, of course, the Billabong Pipeline Pro. So that's what's on the docket for today. There's so many storylines that, I mean, there's just so much going on. But let's start Billabong Pipeline Pro. We wrapped up round one and round two. And, um, bef you know, last time we recorded, you and I made a, a wager, yeah. a fantasy surfer wager. It's $100 between David and I who uh, comes out on top in just the, the, the pipe event. We're basically tied, so whoever wins this pipe event gets $100. And I chose Bruce Irons on my team, and um, you sort of went, dude, that's a mistake. But for $1.5 million, it's kind of a value. I mean, it's a good roll of the dice, but unfortunately, we came up snake eyes. Bruce we. Irons, un well, I did, and but there were some others. David Price, who listens to the show, I rapped with him. He goes, you know what? I picked up Bruce, too, because for $1.5 million, it is kind of a good roll of the dice. Yeah. So David and I and anyone else who picked up uh, Bruce Irons came up snake eyes. Underwhelming Bruce Irons. The waves were underwhelming, 
that you know he was offered in that round two heat, but that doesn't really matter in my opinion. You have to step up competitively. Everyone gets the same waves. And oh, by the way, the guy he surfed against was getting sevens. So on if, yeah, like it was Felipe, Felipe right? Toledo. Yeah. yeah, so Felipe was getting sevens, and Bruce Irons, you know, who's arguably one of the greatest pipe surfers ever, is getting twos and ones. It's kind of like, dude, this guy from Brazil is kicking your ass at your spot, you know? Exactly. Like, and and it just, I just got the sense that he didn't care. I mean, there was, there wasn't any like, I want to do this in memory of my brother. Now, I can't speak for him. That's just my opinion. Maybe he's, maybe he's just stoked to be out there, and that, and that's his way of paying homage to Andy, and that's fine too. But, but, you know, like, just be competitive is all, all we ask. Like, it, like paddle for some waves. That was my argument when we had this thirty-minute discussion on the last show, which was Bruce doesn't care. He's proven that he doesn't care over and over again. We keep giving him these opportunities to care. He doesn't. He's doing us and his own legacy a disservice at this point. And everybody's like, oh, well, he looks better than he's ever than he's looked in years at Pipe. And look at these waves that he caught. And I agree. He looks better than he's looked in years. Still a shadow of the original Bruce. We can't just like say, oh, because he, he's not phenomenal anymore. He was phenomenal once. And now we, we hope that he returns to grace. But he's not going to. And he's proven it. And... I don't know how many times he has to prove it for us to now I think this is the final chance. It's well, like, I sent you a hashtag, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hashtag Bruce never ever again on my fantasy team. You agreed. Know? Agreed. And um yeah. So I agree at 1.5 million, he was a say he was a good purchase, but by the way, Jamie O'Brien was 1.5 and Jack Robinson was oh 1.5. Mason Ho was 1.5. Oh my god. So, I can't believe I didn't I would have I, I yeah, I made a mistake. Thank you for admitting that. Yeah. I hope you have that hundred bucks queued up because <laughs> it's not over yet. your team's blowing it. Though. Oh, is it? Well, How dude, do you know what my team is? Because you, you can look it? at their team oh. once the event starts. Who do I I'm have I'm looking left? at it right now. You've got, well, who do you not have left? Well, Let's do I that. have Kelly, right? And you, I have Mick. You have Kelly, Mick, John, John, Jeremy. Those guys made it through to, to round, round three. three. Yeah. The guys you lost, but uh, are Miguel Pupo, who actually lost in round two as well. Pupo. Um, Jack Robinson. Taj, no. You have Taj, who got bumped into round two, but made it into round three. Uh, Adrian Buckin, I'm not sure. Oh, he, no, he got, he got through. He so made I it have through. six guys out of eight. Okay, good for That's you. That's pretty good. What do you got, eight No, you lost eight? Bruce, too. Yeah, that, there's eight guys. Okay. I got okay, six. Okay. I lost Pupo and Bruce Irons. Okay. Is that right? Yeah, looks like That's it. That's not bad for round three. You have eight but out you of you got four. Four of your guys got bumped into round two, and then two of them made it out of round two. So it looks sketch um, going into round two. Yeah. But you made it out around. I think I have six based on what you just told me. Yeah. I I, need to look. I only lost um, Jack Robinson so far. Oh, God. That kid. By the way, is this the... Here's the best pipeline specialist. He turned out to be an Australian kid named Jack Robinson, 17 years old. He beat all of the pipeline specialists, the guys who've spent their lives there. He won the trials event. He won the trials. Yeah. Yeah, The the Billabong Pipeline Invitational, as it's called. In scintillating form. He killed... This kid... I sent you a text. This kid should be put on tour right away. Just give him a special exemption. He's exciting. We want to see him. I know that's not doable, but right. quite frankly, if you're in the WSL, you're trying to figure out a way to do that. You yeah. need to put Jack Rob. I mean, he he showed that he's exciting at the um, Margaret River event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but he wasn't even in the event. He wasn't even in the free surfing. No, he was killing In my it. mind, he won that event. Yeah, <laughs> you know I know. I mean? like, he was the guy that you you talked about, you know. And, and, and I've and been same with this so far. I mean, you you know, even his round two loss was pretty damn close. Oh, I know. And uh, I've been singing his praises, by the way, for the last six months on this whatever, show. Whatever, whatever guy. No, but that, even the last He's episode. no Matt Banting, was my, right? <laughs> Oh, snap. 
So even on the last show, I think it was my must-see moment. Like, I've been loving it. I keep saying, like, reminiscent of Andy, like, because his style, he's riding Arakawa, is like his Billabong sticker. Like, he just kind of, especially at sunset and bigger waves like that, where he's drawing these long, radical carves. But I love him. He will be on tour. Um, He's reminiscent of John John to an extent in, like, his, um, I don't know, like, nimble approach and like radical unexpected lines that he draws and then um, improv kind of lip slides in the middle of a power gouge it's just like I don't know there's some flair there's some flair there there. is flair and power you said he reminds you of Andy Irons and this brings up an interesting thing you know this is the Billabong Pipeline masters in memory of Andy Irons and I'm just wondering you know Andy was known for his you know raw powerful um, supercharged surfing and he, and he had that natural spontaneous flair and charisma that Jack Robinson has and it was sincere you know and and Andy Irons he stared down Kelly Slater and he won three consecutive titles and and we know all of these things about Andy and the WSL does a good job of kind of presenting that and I'm just wondering at what point in in surfing's history or in the history of this Billabong event do we um, do we should we remember Andy for more than just his surfing? What about his flaws? You know, um, couldn't we grow as a community of surfers and of ocean lovers if we remembered Andy Irons, the person? You know, warts and all. I mean, you know, we've heard accounts uh, about Andy's life. One of them is that he was sweet, giving, kind, the kind of guy that would give you the shirt off of his back, a loving and faithful husband. We've also heard that he was an addict. I mean, Outside Magazine did two stories on on his death, you know? Right. And and here's a guy who, uh, he went into rehab, you know, um, a few times he went into rehab. Again, Outside Magazine, you know, this is stuff that's out there. Now, Andy Irons isn't a bad human trying to get good. He was a sick human trying to get well. Yeah. And I, I think that we should um, perhaps open up the truth a little bit or shine a little bit of light on it because first of all, he's got this great little five-year-old kid that that, you know, at some point, you know, he's going to ask his parents or somebody about his mom. He's going to ask his mom about his father, you know. And I just think that it would be kind of cool if it's almost like the elephant in the room. Like everyone knows, but nobody talks about it on these WSL broadcasts. Now, it might not be their place to do that. Right. Maybe it's too soon. But, you know, good sporting productions do human interest stories. Like totally. Jimmy Roberts does them with NBC. Like and, and you just go into this person and people want to know about the flaws because everyone has them. We all, we, we see ourselves in that person, you know, and, and we can relate to that person. Mm-hmm. more. I can't relate to surfing like Andy Irons, but I think I can relate to um, some of the flaws, the personal flaws that we all have on some level or another. Right. And that's why those human interest stories are great. I just think it would be neat at some point if the WSL did some sort of human interest story on Andy Irons, not to indict him as a bad guy, but just um, more to for for the sake of humanity. I think we would all benefit. You know, Matt Warshaw once wrote that um, surf history is at its finest when it's not moonlighting as surf advocacy. Mm. And I just feel like you know, with the billabong in memory of Andy Irons, at some point, maybe it's not this year, maybe it's not next year, but the WSL should open up the the pages on Andy's life a little bit because I think we'd all benefit, and I think Andy Irons would approve. Interesting. Yeah, I fully agree with you, and we've kind of had this conversation probably before. I agree with it 
I don't know the reason why is that I've, their place is that the WSL? I don't know that it's the WSL's place personally, and I'm sure that there are. We've discussed it. There are other people who are developing these stories currently that will be broadcast and published at some point. The reason why I've never talked about it is I don't really know any of the facts regarding that part of Andy's life. All that I know is speculative and hearsay, and so I'm apprehensive to perpetuate or propagate some false. Yeah. Truth. Yeah. You, yeah. This you know? is such a sensitive issue that you it do is. need to That's be armed thing. with the facts. Yeah. You know? I wasn't on the inner circle. I really don't know anybody that was on the inner circle. Uh, tangentially, I know, like, you know, friends of friends and that sort of thing, but I'd be super apprehensive to broadcast. Yeah. The last anything. thing we want to do is try, we're not here to indict Andy Irons. I'm just suggesting, look, there was two outside magazine articles that, that basically disclose, and oh, by the way, more or less a lot of the people within the surf industry know what was happening mm -hmm. at the time. I mean, it's, you know, there, look, there were some, there were some demons. The things that made him such a great surfer were perhaps some of the things that also um, made him susceptible to, to choices that weren't good ones, you know? Right. And I agree that storyline is compelling. And I think that it would serve a greater good if we did really get into that and understand it better. I think, you know, obviously it's the Billabong Pipeline Masters and Billabong was Andy's main sponsor. And so they're kind of utilizing his legacy for profit, essentially. I would like to see the Billabong or the Pipe Masters in general honor other fallen heroes from Pipeline. Ronnie Burns, Marvin Foster even, like different pipe. Ronnie Burns was a Billabong guy too. Yeah, so different pipe guys who have come and gone but dominated that wave during their period of time and it could then be the Pipe Masters in honor of Ronnie Burns one year. You know what I mean? And then let's, sure. and then the, the WSL has tons of new content. human interest content that yeah. they can propagate through that event yeah. that's fresh to us because we have seen Andy Iron stuff over and over and we've heard the different stories, you know? So who else could you do? You could do Malik Joy Yu, right? Oh yeah. Um and then you could do guys that are still around. I mean yeah. you could do one in memory or I guess you wouldn't do it in memory of unless they've passed. But or, there's enough in memory of's to really go who you know, give me some others in well, memory. Marvin Foster, I Okay, said. in memory of Marvin. So you've got Marvin, Ronnie, Buttons. Malik Buttons, Buttons a backdoor yeah, guy. For sure, for sure. Buttons you know? would be a good one. I don't know if I've ever seen him go left, but I've seen him surf back door. <laughs> yeah, no. Off the wall. Buttons goes left. Does he? I think so. I don't, I don't, I can't <laughs> Sounds remember. like a hashtag. Buttons goes left. <laughs> I can't remember him ever going left, actually. <laughs> um, so anyways, the, let's get, let's get into the event a little bit. There's yeah. a couple of things that I think are worth discussing. Um, Adriano. Okay. okay, he's yes. the one who took out Jack Robinson. Yes, Adriano. People are saying in the free surf. I think before day one, got like the wave of his life out there. I yeah. never ended up seeing it. I'm not sure if it's available somewhere. Right. Maybe somebody can send it to me. Um, hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com is the the web the email address. But Adriano is doing exactly what we've grown to love from him, which is sticking to the game plan having fundamental surfing that wins heats and grinding it out and not faltering. He gets an opportunity, executes on the opportunity. Love it, love his style or not, he does what he came to do. Yeah. And it's super impressive. Well, it's funny because um, just to fast forward through the show a little bit, I have him as my kook and I'm wondering, and I, when, I, when I did it, I was like, oh, you know what? He's kind of doing what I would do if I was a competitor. And I have him for my kook because of the way he sat on Jack Robinson in that oh, really? round two heat. Did you hear? Did I you saw see it? it. Yeah, I saw it. And, but, but I sort of have to backtrack a little bit because that is what Adriano does, you know, like, and I can't, I just, I wanted Jack Robinson to do well. And so I'm bummed that he didn't get through that heat. So 
passionately as a fan, I was like, I can't believe Adriano's sitting on him and kind of getting in his face a little bit. And just like anything he paddled for, Adriano would just be right there. And you even heard the commentator yeah. say, hey, he might get an interference for just being too close to Jack Robinson, you know? They also said, this is why people don't like Adriano. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And, and and But clearly, in many ways, it's why you and I have sat here and said, we kind of like Adriano. And it's because he is this workman-like blue collar. I'm going to get in your face and win this heat no matter what. You got to respect it. You kind of got to respect it. You so gotta that's res- why I'm backtracking on my kook because I have totally. him as my kook. Totally. Well, you have to respect it because Adriano, first of all, got the waves that he needed to to win the heat. So he did the surfing that was required. And then when it came down to the wire, he did the tactical play that was required. Right. Exactly. And there's a lot of guys who we love, Dane Reynolds, let's say, who doesn't make heats because he doesn't do those things. Right. So it's like, I'd rather watch Dane surf more if he applied some of these things and then made it through heats. So Jack Robinson got flustered by Adriano. Maybe the wave wasn't coming anyways and he wouldn't, but he did get flustered by it because he's a new competitive surfer who hasn't been put through his paces like that. And you know, um, Rob Machado in the interview that you'll hear later in the show talked about the Brazilians don't really have, they're they're not too cool. Like in some regards, you mentioned Dane Reynolds and I thought to myself, yeah, Dane's just too cool to even have to hassle. Yeah. You know, and and Rob said, that's kind of one of the reasons that the Brazilians are doing so good because they want to win no matter what. And they don't care if they don't look cool. Yeah. I admire that. Well, there was uh, Chas Smith wrote an article on Beach Grid about like he wants Adriano to win the world title and he's kind of an Adriano fan. And people chimed in in the comment sections and made reference to us and this show. Somebody said, they're like, they're like, yeah, those guys over at the podcast don't even get it. Like they're missing it completely. Adriano is amazing. Like he surfs incredibly well. Those guys write him off just because of his style, which I get what Chaz was saying. I get what the commenters are saying. I still stand by my opinion in that style matters and that I can admire Adriano in this one facet in his tenacity as a competitor, but you cannot disregard aesthetic and style. And like, I would like for him to put 20% of what he puts in, just give me 20% Adriano focused on aesthetic rather than 100% focused on tech. You know, well, the guy in fundamentals of surfing, he's a fundamentally perfect surfer. You know, the guy who made the comment must not listen to the show very clearly because we have always you and I this year, especially me, has said that, hey, you know what? I've come around on Adriano, not because of his style, but because of his workmanlike ethic and ethos. And that's and we've we've blatantly said we're kind of fans. Totally. And maybe I'm mischaracterizing his comment because I think the comment was saying He's a great surfer, period. Adriano's a fantastic surfer. I wouldn't want my kid to surf like him. I wouldn't want to That's surf That's the like ultimate him. litmus test. Yeah. I want my kid to surf like a bunch of other guys yeah. rather than him. Yeah, yeah. And for me, that's like, okay, well, then he's, his style's a little off. Right. Yeah, he rips. There's no doubt. Yeah, yeah. And I want my kid to have the workman-like attitude that Adriano has for, for sure. I think somebody else chimed in and was like, yeah, I, I remember him showing up at Snapper two weeks before the event and just obliterating every wave that came through. And it's so impressive in person. And I can relate to that. I've seen that as well. And it is very impressive. But talking about would you want your kid to surf like that or would I want to surf like that? I am more inspired by the Tom Kern conversation that we had. I don't want to necessarily go out and obliterate a wave, even though that would be rad and I you know, I would take that if I could get a magic power tomorrow. But I'd rather get the magic power of Tom Curran thinking outside the box and being like, dude, this skimboard, 
I could ride this if I put some fins on it. And then going out and nursing that up and down the California coast for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> like that sounds more, that yeah. suits my sensibility a little bit better. Like yeah. I would like to go on that journey yeah. rather than blowing the back out of a three foot wave, you know? It's all quite interesting because it really speaks to the cultures that we grew up in. You know, like if you're in a Brazilian does. culture, yeah, you're yeah. sort of like, there's a lot of angst and you're going to win and you're competitive and number one, machismo. And we're in this North American culture, even a Southern California subculture where it's just way more, as, as you mentioned, aesthetic is important, you yeah. know? But here's the conversation that I would like, one little nuance I want to tease apart yes. is this is why I love Mick Fanning. He has what Adriano has, but he also does it with a smile on his face and with the most beautiful aesthetic. Like Mick's, Mick's style is just light years developed yeah. beyond Adriano's with all of the ripping that Adriano does. Like the fundamentals that, are there. And that's why he has three world titles. And the nicest guy ever. Like he wasn't always. Well, I think Adriano's a nice human. I think I, he's a kind human. I don't think he's an... Agreed. Yeah. But Mick is additionally nice in the heat or with his competitors or in maybe not in the heat, but let's say in the locker room, in the locker room, people still don't like Adriano because he's not making small talk and he's there for business. Mick can turn it on and off. He can vacillate between being the nicest guy on tour. Maybe not that I'm kind of, yeah. you know, it's a bit of hyperbole well, at least, here. You know, part of me says, you know what, at least Adriano is being sincere. You know where he stands, you know, that's not, no, it I'm is not sincere, suggesting that Mick, but Mick is, is sincere. Yeah. Okay, I, I think they're both sincere. Yeah. I think that Mick is the more, actualized human being i think is what it is i think mick is genuinely just a great ambassador for the sport which i don't know that adriano is adriano's clawing his way to a world title mick has done all the fundamentals and the hard work that adriano's done additionally he's a nice human being you know yeah so that's so it's kind of like i acknowledge what everybody's saying about adriano but i don't think that you can only be one or the other i think mix a shining example of all of the hard work dedication tactical prowess with being a beautiful beautiful surfer and a good human being so beautiful, beautiful. you said beautiful i'm a huge fan all so right. uh, here's a let's go on to another point yeah jordy smith we see so little of him because of his injury and jordy who but then the guy gets the guy. All he has to do is turn up once, and we all remember the glory of Jordy. Like it is amazing. Yeah, the the big turn that he did on that right hander. I forget one of the commentators. Uh, I think it was Ross Williams. He said it wasn't a drop wallet. It was a, and I can't remember exactly. Dropped what. a suitcase. Yeah, he dropped a suitcase or like yeah. Yeah, a bank vault or something. Yeah, because that big gapping gaffing yeah gaffing ga yeah gaffing turn that was just incredible hack. Hack, man hack. Man hack. But we forget really, about him. Yeah. Like he got that barrel and you're like, oh, sweet. He's going to get the score he needs on this wave. And then what? Like this turn comes out of nowhere. You're like, I forgot that people can even do turns like that on waves like this. You yeah. know, it's just so radical. But then. That was 200 pounds a turn right there. Crazy. And then he gets a left that he just like blows this reverse on the end section that you also didn't see coming. How much do you think Jordy weighs? I think he's 195 or something. Is that like fighting weight, cut lean, ready to go? Yeah. Or is that yeah, like yeah, with yeah. bagels on the hips? No, I think he's 195, like fighting weight. But he's like 6'2 or 6'3. Yeah. Rides big, beefy boards. The guys in the booth are saying like, oh, it's like an SUP. When you hold his board, you, <laughs> you like it. Glenn Hall could SUP on this thing. <laughs> so even Glenn Kelly, Hall, now there's a story. Is there? Well, he's, he's in round three. Glenn yeah, Hall, he's yeah. surfing against our buddy Adriano. 
Yeah, Glenn, you gotta love Glenn. He's my favorite guy to hear on the post-heat interview because I can't get over how squeaky his voice how is. How insane will it be if Glenn Hall beats Adriano DeSouza in round three tomorrow? That will be insane. Well, he beat Gabriel in round three in snapper on like waist high waves that you would never think Glenn would beat him on. So the Glenn reason I like this line, this these two going at it, this yeah. this setup here, is that, that if there's one guy you're gonna overlook, it's Glenn Hall. Weak. Like Adriano could go into this just going, dude, I just gonna get some waves and get through this here. Right. It shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. And Glenn Hall could get a ten on a left and all of a sudden it's because on it's, and, and he's under, you know. Because it's slated to be kind of west swell, big pipe waves. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which good. will benefit the goofy footers. Well, I don't know about that. I mean the, I think so. The, that's the beauty of being a regular foot at pipe. I mean, the left's way easier backside than the right is backside. True, true, and true, so, true. And then there if the opportunity shows up for a crazy yeah. uh, backdoor wave the regular foots have the advantage I, right. it's always been a regular foot uh, event the problem for me is glenn hall i like glenn hall but he makes it through all the heats he makes it through even against these world title contenders it's with a pair of fives or sixes he never gets eights even on his best performances he doesn't really get eights wow. but he's able hashtag to, glenn hall doesn't get eights he really doesn't i okay. mean period all go right. look at his scores you know and so but <laughs> The thing is, he makes it through really tough heats by constantly getting sixes. So he'll draw a world title contender who can't find a couple. Of, like, they'll just get threes and fours because they can't find. They're looking for the eight, and they can't find the eight. Well, at Pipeline, it, I think with a brand new Big West Swell tomorrow at Pipeline, it's going to be tens or ones, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, it's gonna yeah. It's going to be, you know, Glenn, I, and I could see Glenn Hall getting a pitted deep left and Adriano scrambling around on on maybe the beginning of a new swell, which is rough and tumble and not as clean as they had hoped. Although his heats later in the day should clean up by then. And and Adriano again is put in the hard yards to where he's finding the bombs on those days lately yeah. consistently. So no, I don't I would, doubt him. I wouldn't bet against Adriano. I really wouldn't either. But Glenn Hall also another flaw in his plan or just in his repertoire, is he gets opportunities for 10s and blows them regularly. Like, he'll get the set wave of the heat and fall with regularity. So, <laughs> wow. it's a problem. Hashtag Glenn Hall falls. It is what it is, dude. Glenn he, Fall. You can call him Glenn Fall. <laughs> I love it. And by the way, he's off tour this next year. He's um, already... He's already. Heat 5 is kind of gnarly. Okay. Are you looking at this? Yeah, Mick and Jamie. Mick Fanning, world title contender... Versus Jamie O'Brien, former Pipeline master. I know. And so Mick's got the hardest draw by no far. Doubt. In order for Mick to, you know, get If he the world wins title, that, he, you could hand him the world title. It doesn't get any harder. No, exactly. And everybody else, I think Gabriel's got Jordy, which is a tough one. But if it is Wes Swell, I'm giving it to Gabriel. Yeah. You know? Who's the, who are the other title contenders here? Felipe is still in it. He's got Mason. Mason Ho, that's a tough draw. It could be and it couldn't be. You know, like Mason shows up. When he shows up, he's getting eights. But sometimes he doesn't show. I think Mason Ho's showing up. Julian Wilson versus Adam Melling. Mm, that's kind of a toss-up. Adam Melling's sneaky good. He got a really sick one at backdoor the other day in round yeah, two. Yeah, he's sneaky good. But Julian's proven himself. He's the defending champion. Yeah. One other conversation that's worth having. Kelly Slater. Yeah, those Kelly, boards. Well, those boards, but I mean, I Kelly, like the way that board looked on that one roundhouse cutty he did in round two. Yeah, they, again, similar did he get to the pushed through that heat. No, no, I don't think so. But similar to the Bruce conversation, when Kelly gives us forty percent of who he used to be, we start bowing down again. Yeah. But that roundhouse cutty was a it was a I standard was, Kelly cutty. Yeah, but it was gorgeous. Of course it was. I mean, but it was neat to see the board. I, I loved it, it. I loved it. But I it was a, it was pretty incredible. I, I don't think it was standard. 
Dude, it was incredible. But again, Kelly gave us one glimpse of what he used to give us over and over again. And now we're all bowing down. Like, here's here's the deal. He got through that heat with a couple of sevens. He let Jordy or he let Dusty go on the wave that Dusty got an eight on, yeah. which he never should have done. Yeah. He didn't make it through his round one heat, which he should have made it through. It's like yeah, yeah. Kelly barely No, but through, that round but he one heat, CJ Hobgood got that freaky 10, right? That was amazing. And so, Kelly had the flu the day before. He was not even able to surf the day before. So you got to kind of... But still, you know what I mean? I do. Like, Kelly, where are you, dude? Oh. Give us what we want, Kelly. Hashtag calling out Kelly. For sure I am, dude. And we've <laughs> we've been calling him out all year long, but I also put him on my team going into this event because it's kind of like, even though Kelly hasn't shown up all year long he in his head. Sh- he always shows up for Pipe. Pipe, he's got to be there. He can win Pipe. He's going to win Pipe. Him and John John are going to be in the final. Like, they're going to duke it out. And now he's kind of not showing up again. And it's like, dude, Kelly. I don't know. Give the fans what they want. He showed up. He showed up. Barely. Barely. He barely squeaked by Dusty. Mm -hmm. And Dusty needed the score to remain on the world tour next year. So and he didn't get it. So, anyways, those are the those are the storylines for me at Pipe. Well, I look at the pipeline specialists. Every year it's like, let us in the event. We we gave him a bill we gave him the um or the WSL gave him the Billabong invitational. And I see here Jamie O'Brien is the only one left in round three. Um of course, they only got two into the main event, right? So Jack Robinson. But Mason Ho, as a wild card, as no, an injury he, wild card? he got card? in his injury replacement for Owen Wright, who that's another story. Yeah, how does that work? Just because he's a rip curl guy? They no, because he was number three in the trials event. Oh, Mason was. Yeah, he okay. got third in the finals of the trial. Oh, cool. So real quickly, Jamie O'Brien looks more professional. Every post-heat interview... It's like he took some coaching. Exactly. Like somebody goes, hey, dude, you've gotten so far off on this who is J-O-B series. Like you are the party. Yeah. You, you are the party animal. Let's reel it back. And in order for you, it's great you're no, surfing. It was actually very interesting. Like I, I liked listening it. to what he was saying. He was, making a, he was making great insights and he was doing it with sort of a sincere and rather humble demeanor and it was noticeable yeah it was noticeably good noticeably good different the antithesis of who we think jamie is yeah so in the very early rounds it was also sincere and honest it wasn't coached it was like you know that's how he felt but he delivered it the right way but it it is like somebody sat him down and just said hey dude let's take this as seriously as you possibly can you can win this event if he talked that way all the time, I'd say put him in the commentary box after this, after his career's over. This guy would be a great con. You know, he knows a lot about. You know, he knows perhaps more than any. In the first round of the trials event, post heat interview, super good. He just was like, Rosie asked him a pointed question, yeah. and he just goes, "Well, you know, Rosie, I've thought a lot about that. Here's my thoughts about." And he just goes into I know. it, and it I and great. I and I literally thought to myself, "Well." That was an anomaly. We're not going to see that again from Jamie. And then every heat since then, he's done the same exact thing. And I go, you know what? This guy's going on my fantasy team for pipe because he is more serious than he's ever been in his life. He has the ability to win it. He's like Kelly said, Jamie's caught more waves at pipeline in the past decade than anybody else by far. Like he is the guy. All he has to do is take it seriously. And now he's taking it seriously. So that blew me away. And so I think that he will beat Mick in round three. I want Mick to win the world title. I love Mick, but I think Jamie's going to take him down. Wow. Those guys are buddies too. I mean, they go way back on the Rip Curl team. But you're absolutely right. Jamie O'Brien really... uh blew my mind it's, it's impressive it was cool because he was he was optimistic in his commentary too he wasn't like yeah it's too bad it's so lame out no. there you know he was like you know what we all get the same conditions i got one or two i'm looking forward to the next heat it's going to be fun Thanks. exactly exactly and it was great 
hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And side note, Adriano is staying with Jamie O'Brien, getting coached by him this season. Wow. He showed up. He said he showed up at Jamie's house and was like, I will sleep. I need you to coach me. If you don't agree to this, I will sleep on your front porch <laughs> until you do agree to it. Well, so. the O'Brien household has a long history of having Brazilians stay there. I mean, uh, you know, as far as I can recall, there's always been a Brazilian contingent in that house somewhere living there. I remember... Yeah. Um, what was the one guy's name? Um, Brazilian guy that he had a funny name like Dudu. It wasn't Miguel Pupo, but it was another guy. I don't remember. It was like Bobo or something. I can't remember. I don't know. Who anyway, yeah, there's all. I, I've been around the house um, a little bit, and I know that that there's always been a strong Brazilian contingent there. Yeah. Well, super exciting event. So many interesting storylines. Like we could go on and on and really dissect it. Um, I'm I'm just in love with it. I cannot wait to get the event underway tomorrow. Um, can we talk about Piahi? Okay. Piahi. Piahi, Piahi by Challenge. far the, the greatest big wave competition we've ever seen. Um, and the entertainment value on the broadcast, on the production was through the roof. It was must-see TV. Enjoyed the heck out of all aspects of the of the event and, and the way the WSL put it on. And Peter Mel and those guys deserve... A lot of kudos. Yeah. The one minor little um, glitch was, and this is super micro uh, criticism, is Dave Kalama used the word irregardless. All the time. <laughs> which he bothers over- me because there's no such word. It's, it's regardless. There's he no used such thing it as over irregardless. and over and over. I know. And I used to use that word until somebody corrected me. Yeah. And so now I have this thing about it. It's not irregardless. It's regardless. Right. There's no Irregardlessly, such- blah, 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 blah. Yeah. yeah you, it you was annoying. It can't be irregardless. Yeah, I agree. He is not... He he, no, is, he had some good insight. It's just that one thing that I thought was well, bothersome. like no. What I was going to say is he is the most qualified person to be in the booth, and so for that reason, we're going to have him. But he's not a broadcaster. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like little nasally voice. Like he just 
you know, grammatically there were some errors, but um, who are we to talk? I mean, that we're yeah. really throwing stones in a glass yeah, house. No, we are because, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can barely so, spit out words myself, Dave, so don't beat me up. Bro. I know. So, by the way, Piahi Challenge, it was the first ever um, big wave event held at Piahi on the WSL. Uh, the waves were, it's a surf spot, obviously, in Maui, a.k.a. Jaws. It... It started it's, off it's with Mark super, Matthews on one of the hugest waves of the day, dislocating his shoulder. And from there with, on, it was like gold. With a crazy rescue attempt, too. Like, the, the jet skis came in. They missed him. He ended up breaking a rib or something or shoulder. Dislocated shoulder. Dislocated shoulder. Before the event, while they were um, prepping and, like, the commentators are giving the hype for the upcoming event, they were also filming the free surf footage. So we saw that wave. Shane Dorian got a wave that he free fall side slip dropped on, stomped it, made it to the shoulder and kicked out. That was like the gnarliest drop ever. Kai Lenny got the craziest shack I've ever seen out there. Did you see that one? Yeah. So it was like unbelievable. So what you had was natural, sincere froth coming from the broadcasters who were watching it all unfold. So it was just like, oh my God, it's on. We're in for something huge. And it, and it, it delivered. It delivered. It was a one day event. I agree with you. Not only the greatest big wave event, which we've poo pooed big wave competitive surfing Be over and because over. Because why? Because it's not exciting. It just takes, there's too much downtime too between much downtime. set waves and it was just pumping. This was pumping. People are saying, it, so I was going to say, not only is it the greatest big wave event we've ever seen, it might be the greatest single contest I've ever watched online. Like it was that exciting. I could not turn yeah, it off. I know nobody could. It was a full on home run. You're absolutely right. I mean, it was, uh, it was just, it was everything that the WSL and fans of the WSL, like you and I, wanted to see out of a big wave event. And the, the downside to this, it's going to be so hard to live up to that. Can't live up to it, but I'm okay with that. Like, let's yeah. just embrace this for what it was now. So here's the deal. The surfers delivered the goods. I didn't see one person pull back on anything, nor did I see anybody dodge a barrel section. Like Greg Long pulling into the closeout was super gnarly. No, So not only did the surfers deliver, um, the ocean, the, delivered. The, the ocean delivered the production quality of the WSL. That was arguably the best produced event we've ever seen. Helicopter shots, tracking, like starting in super tight with the rider paddling into the wave and then panning back as they're dropping in on the wave, like tracking guys down the line, like so many angles, flawless production. Like it looked incredible. And they had to put together the event in 72 hours yeah. from when they probably prepped for it, knowing the swell was coming, but they didn't green light it until 72 hours in advance. So they slapped this thing together. It's not like prepping for the Billabong Pipe Masters, you know? So, because it's a three-month window or whatever it is for the waiting period rather than I'm two sure weeks. I'm sure they do prep, though, for the broadcast way in advance of even knowing if there's they a do. swell so that they have a template that they can turn on. They do. Like they have the backstory of the spot. Of they course. have all that stuff done in a can somewhere. It is in a can knowing that it may never get used. Right, exactly. So they're not going to fully invest, you know? So in that 72 hours is like a significant investment in make in making the green Oh, there's light. no doubt that they were under the gun and they did a great job. Yeah. So Billy Kemper won the event, by the way. Kudos to Billy Kemper who charged all day. Billy, by the way, a guy who kind of flies under the radar, not an A-list household name, but over the past five years, he's consistently made... Heats at Sunset, Haleiwa, Pipeline, and of course, he's from Maui. So, um, you know, Jaws now. Yeah. High, high drama. Phenomenal. And Albie Lair, right? Second place was Albie Lair or Greg I'm, Long? I'm not sure if he got second, but yeah, Albie was charging all yeah. day long. 
And I think Greg Long and then Shane Dorian fourth. Was there six? There's six guys. Shane Dorian got sixth. By the way, Walsh. Shane Dorian is worth mentioning because he he legitimately got gassed and gassed out before the end of the day. He had the gnarliest wipeout ever in the semifinal heat. Yeah. But he is the most seasoned, um, conditioned guy who you look at as just being superhuman. Like, oh, Shane will be there in the final and he'll get the craziest wave. He did all those things, but even Superman well, gets I, exhausted. I, I almost get the sense that he has enough humility to realize, you know what? I, I had a great day today. Exactly. I've done insane stuff already. Like this morning was mental. Yep. In many ways, I've already won the event for my sponsors, mm-hmm. for my brand, Shane Dorian. Um, and you know what? I've got I've got at least one kid, maybe two. I don't know how many kids he has, and he's and, and I'm gassed, and I'm just going to sit this one out. Fully. And I, unless a perfect one comes to me, I'm good. And fully. I, I kind of respect that. I, I fully as an old guy, it. I get it. You know, completely. I couldn't agree with you more. That is what happened, and we all honor it. It's all good. We honor you, Shane. Um, we speak your name. We also need to acknowledge the Target Maui Pro, which took place at Holly. We didn't talk about that. Honolulu Bay. We did not talk about it. Okay, well, we talked about the early rounds last time, but it finished since we last Well, recorded. congrats to Carissa. She deserved to win. She's Honolulu. by far the best woman surfer in the world. There's no doubt in my mind. She's better than any of them. Head and shoulders. Head above and shoulders them. above. And that wave, as we talked about earlier, makes the women. It, it's just, it's a dreamy wave. It was a fun competition to watch because of how good the waves were. It, it lived up. We could use the same intro we gave for the Piahi Challenge for this event. All the things came together. Yeah. The ladies showed up and were ripping. Yep. Production was great, of course, but then the waves showed up. And it, they showed up in the final, too. Like They got perfect 10 potential yes. waves. And Carissa did get the gnarliest barrel ever. Sally was in the final with her. Sally ripped. It was a world title race between Courtney and Carissa. And as much as I love Courtney and was rooting for her to win, there is a pointed difference between the level of her surfing and the level of Carissa surfing, you know, and Carissa just never faltered. Like Carissa really delivered. And Coco Ho, fellow Hawaiian, beat Courtney to hand the title to Carissa in an early round. So that was the main couple storylines. And then in this pipe event, they did a ladies specialty event uh, at the end of round two of the men's. And it was mainly a backdoor situation. Like most of the good waves were at backdoor. And Carissa was in that event and blew doors on all the other girls again. Got the bomb waves. Comboed the whole field and won that event as well. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Although Courtney by the Courtney had a couple 10 potentials. Like Courtney knew which waves to pick to get the 10s. She just didn't quite make them. But it's kind of like... I see Courtney being a contender for the next few years. She knows what to do, and her surfing is very, very good. If she can kind of connect the dots in future years, she'll be there with Carissa, you know, duking it out. If Carissa ever falters, Courtney will be right there to swoop in and take the title. So Fair enough. Yeah. That's my thoughts on that. Well, <laughs> um, I don't have much more. I know we have um, a 45-minute interview with Rob Machado coming up. Um, I do have a Duke. Duke, my Duke Kahanamoku, who, believe it or not, is Grubby Clark, who 10 years ago today flipped off the surfboard manufacturing industry by closing. Not 10 years today. Well, 10 years. Yeah. T- December Ten, 5th. Yeah. So. Yeah. 10 years ago, flipped off. Uh, yeah. So he, he basically said, sent a fax out to the surfboard world. Uh, I'm closed today. Not doing any more business. Don't call me. I'll call you. Blah, blah, blah. And of course, he's my Duke because you would think he would be my kook, but unknowingly he set into motion probably um 
you know, a series of events which has made surfboards and surfboard manufacturing a really exciting place to be in these last 10 years. Lots of changes and lots of good stuff and and it's only getting better. Basically, kind of had a monopoly on foam production. Did have a monopoly. Yeah, so it prevented, um, I don't know, technical technological advancements and comp- all the good things that come with competition. And so it was a tough time when he There's went There's a good away. article on Surfer Magazine that, that Justin Hausman mm-hmm. did. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, okay. Before I give you my kook and duke, can I mention something real quick? Of course. Did you watch Sterling Spencer's new film, Gold? No, but Rob Machado said I need to watch it. He Rob's says, a character in it. Oh, is he? Okay, yeah. yeah. Rob, Rob plays a supporting role, as does Bob Saget, by the way. Really? Bob Saget has... got a dirty mouth, Bob Saget. He does, yeah. <laughs> it, but he has a full scripted part in the film. Wow. So Sterling Spencer's been working on this film gold for the last couple of years i've been waiting for it um as i've seen the advertising surrounding it it's pretty funny dude like it's 30 minutes long it's kind of a commitment some listeners have emailed and said it's more enjoyable than view from a blue moon wow and i i'm afraid i overhyped view from a blue moon like because all the feedback that we've gotten since then is you overhyped it it's like oh it's it's phenomenally like shot and the surfing's phenomenal, but here's the other flaws in it. You know, right. it runs too long and blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah. So I stand by, like, I. Did you just say blah, 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 blah? Yes. Because I was told, why say blah, 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 blah when just blah will do? That's a good point. Yeah. Yada. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like, I, I still stand by what I said about the film because it did have an impact on me, but the listeners' criticisms are also valid. So people are saying gold. Not the greatest surfing, but Sterling Spencer is legitimately funny. And for some reason, his his uh, style of humor doesn't get old. You would think that it would. Like what he does seems like it would get annoying after the fifth time. Kind of doesn't. Like it's always funny to me, you know? So um, if you follow him on Instagram, it's similar to that stuff where he's like dubbing over people's lips and saying funny things and getting little uh b-roll shots of people doing funny stretches on the beach and poking fun and but there's a lot of scripted stuff in this skits and that sort of thing the surfing is good but it's all on less than head high waves with a lot of flicky turns and stuff but it's all good you know machado's got a really funny role in it the bob saget stuff is classic so i'll have a link to that um on surfsplendorpodcast.com but that website is thesterlingspencer.com if you want to watch gold cool well my musty moment is um jeremy jones put out a video called higher it's probably maybe a year old i don't even know how old it is but it's the last in a trilogy jeremy jones snowboarder I didn't know. That. Yeah, higher, and um, it's about his um, going over to the Himalayas and basically camping out at base camp and hiking up these just ridiculous um, peaks and snowboarding down them. <laughs> it's okay. just it's over the top mental. If you want to be inspired by just like it's crazy man stuff, you know, it's like wow, it's it's just crazy man stuff. Do you snowboard? I do. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, just got back. Oh, really? Yeah. Where were you? Colorado for the, all this snow. I had no clue, dude. Yeah. How was it? It was killer. Where'd you go? What? I went to Winter Park. Okay. Snowboarding nice. in Winter Park. Yeah. With Which the family or? My son and I. Okay. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Um, well, my that gold wasn't my must-see moment. My must-see moment is Gabriel Medina's Sunset Beach floater. Did you see this? No. Dude, this kind of flew. It didn't fly under the radar, but so much else happened that it kind of like got discussed and then got overwhelmed. 
Gabriel did the one of the best floaters we've ever seen in competition. He needed to make a heat. Davy Cap, not Davy Cathals, um, Ryan Callanan and Connor O'Leary, who are fighting to qualify for the tour, needed to make this heat. Gabriel, I think, was in third or fourth position in the last 30 seconds, gets this right, rips it, and then does this insane backwash. The wave like lurches and kind of backwashes up. He jumps onto the floater. The thing lurches with him on the roof and then just like collapse is, collapses. He lands on his feet, but like falls back because of the impact, is in this layback position, Gumby, digs his toenails into the wax and somehow climbs back standing and then finishes the wave and gets the eight, seven or whatever he needed on the wave to win the heat and bump those two guys out of contention. Um, it was the gnarliest thing, like the craziest gnarliest section that you think he's going to like blow out his knees on. Um, I think beach grid or maybe stab then followed it up with no, no, no. The greatest floater ever was Shea Lopez's at back door where he literally broke his femur. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. I was there on the beach when that happened. That was brutal. And like ruined his competitive career. Yeah, like he, he a, never over, came yeah, back. It was over. He just that. completely broke his femur yeah. on the wave. So I don't know which one was better. It, we could argue endlessly. Well, Gabriel actually landed his. So maybe Gabriel's was better. Um, got a point there. I don't know, but I'll post videos of both those things. Um, Gabriel Sunset Beach Floater, my must-see moment in an event that, by the way, delivered on all cylinders once again, the Sunset Beach event. Mick Fanning killed it. In WCT is in the final, and it should be on these WCT. I'm a big fan I of know, this. I know. Hard to argue with you. Well, but some people aren't into it. I know, I've been getting some emails. People don't agree with it, but I think but Sunset some people Beach, do agree. I think the world title needs to go through Sunset Beach. The one thing I will say is that if we do Sunset Beach on the world tour, we need a four-man heats. Like That's when fine. It, when it's I'm down that, with that unruly, you, you actually have guys. to. You yeah. actually have to by the county of Honolulu's rules for the right. permits. Right. I believe. I'm not a full-on expert, but I know there's rules about how many man heats you have because the locals at Sunset don't want this thing dragging on for on and on. Well, also, just as the viewer, there'd be 98% of the waves would go unridden in right. the heat. Like, we want to see guys riding those waves. Right. So the four-man heat is important. So my, I got Duke and Kook as well. My Kook, Johnny Boy Gomes or Johnny Boy Gomez, as I like to call him, um, punched a dude and held him underwater at Waikiki when the waves, by the way, were pumping on the North Shore. Why is Johnny Boy Gomes surfing Waikiki? I think he gives surf lessons out there. Oh, is that what he was I doing? Think. Okay. So here's the deal, dude. Johnny Boy Gomes, bad boy personality, actually rode for the bad boy club back in the day when I was a kid. and I think he modeled for that little... <laughs> The artwork. Oh, that's the right. I think that's him with a <laughs> flat top. With a flat top and the folded guns. <laughs> I think so. um, folded arms, but his are guns. Um, when I was a kid growing up, there was these bad boy personality types from the North Shore that were just these daunting figures that are gatekeepers. And it's kind of like, if you ever go to Hawaii, you'll probably get punched by one of these five guys. Johnny Boy was one of those guys. And it's kind of like, I admire it for what it is. And it adds to like the mythical aura of the North Shore. But... I would also like to think that we live in a civilized society. Yes, and they're not <laughs> That'd actually. Be nice. But here's the deal: you're dude. allowed to talk without getting punched. Exactly. It's disappointing when those people live up to the stereotypes. And it's one thing if you're surfing backdoor and people's lives are on the line. Like you want to regulate that lineup. Johnny Boy was surfing Waikiki and ended up beating up a 56 year old man because they had art. They had a disagreement in the water. Punch. I think he punched Pam Burridge in the face. Pam at, Burridge? A pipeline a long time ago, like 15 or 20 years ago. I missed yeah. that story. Yeah, pretty wow. sure. So a woman. Yeah, a pro surfing woman. 
Wow. Like the world title holder, Pam Burge. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I could be remiss. I mean, I, well, I don't no, have my facts on that, but I just recall that Johnny Boy and Pam Burge got into it. I'm pretty sure he punched He it. got arrested in 1999 at Chun's Reef for something similar. He got uh, fined 1000 bucks in 91 for doing it in a contest. Like the guy has- he has anger issues. The guy has a record. I think of, that 91 might be the Pam Burge oh, okay. incident. I don't know okay. for sure, but- Well, in this event, or in this last story last week, he punched a 56-year-old dude in the face and then held him underwater at Waikiki, then got arrested for it. Like the original How was charges, your vacation, honey? I got punched and held underwater right. by some guy. <laughs> yeah, and I, again- it's like, I don't care what happened. There's no justification no, for this not. at Waikiki. Right. Again, if at back door when it's pumping and people's lives are on the line, maybe there would be a justification. But this is just like, dude, we've seen this before. Like, you are the problem. Like, you're not, it, I can understand if there's an isolated incident where this had to happen, but no, dude, you're the common denominator. This repeatedly happens with you. Give it a rest, man. All right. Give it a rest. Fair enough. Kook of the week, Johnny right. Boy Gums. You heard it here. Okay. Duke of the week. Duke. There can only be one. You? Andre Botha. Oh, good point. We forgot all about the Evan Geiselman thing. I mean, South African spotty border, uh, Andre Botha rescued Evan Geiselman, literally saved his life. This is a story that's been widely publicized. Um, Evan Geiselman took off on really what looked to be a killer wave. I thought he surfed the wave perfectly at Pipeline on, on a pretty big unruly day pulled into a double up closeout, um, which was unmakeable. So he just kind of got slammed in the closeout section. Andre Botha, who was floating or paddling out in the channel nearby with Zach Noyle, the photographer, um, was keeping an eye on it. Like he saw Evan pull into the closeout. Evan then didn't come up from the wipeout. Like his board was there tombstoning and Andre said, I always, you know, you see guys boards tombstone and you keep an eye on them. They always pop up next to it and you're like, all right, cool. And you keep paddling out. He's like, Evan didn't pop up from this. It was just the board tombstoning endlessly, which means Evan is sitting at the bottom making the board tombstone by holding the leash down. So Evan or Andre started frantically paddling over to there, was able to pull Evan up into uh out of the water or just like up onto his bodyboard and he said that evan's face was super dark blue and it looked haunting like he thought that evan potentially could have been dead at that moment and um he said the only time that he's ever seen anything that scary and lifeless was when he had to have his dog be put down he's like i've never seen another human being have that lifeless look in their face the only thing i can relate it to was my dog who was sitting on the vet's table getting the lethal injection so that's kind of scary but he started administering cpr on evan in the water while he's getting bashed by the shore break kind of pushed towards shore then getting sucked back out a couple of other surfers mick fanning danny fuller um i forget who else then paddled out and tried to help him get to shore they finally got him to shore lifeguards started administering cpr he was coughing up water foaming at the mouth started to return color a little bit to his face ultimately saved evan's life took him to the hospital evan's gonna make a full recovery and literally his life got saved by andre botha so andre botha is the duke of the week we've got videos of not only the wave but the rescue footage getting pulled out of the water everything i just discussed and then there's a great interview that peter king did with andre that's three minutes long um that is exclusively on stabmag.com so i'll post both those videos a link to the stab one in the duke section on surfsplendorpodcast.com 
Also, there's the latest Clark Little, or at least yesterday's Clark Little um, Instagram has footage of Andre Botha just getting the most crazy, like, late drop boogie board, log cabins, Keiki Beach shack. Really? Where you just, like, you know, it's just one of those death waves. Yeah. It's pretty cool. One of the things I read, I think Jed Smith wrote it for Stab Mag, was, like, we don't know who Andre Botha is as surfers, but if you surf Pipeline in the winter, you know who he is because he's, he's out there big guy. on the most unruly days. Days yeah. when other guys, like people aren't out there, yeah. he's out there charging. <clears throat> and if Mike Stewart is the Kelly Slater to bodyboarding, Andre Botha is the Andy Irons. Right. Like he's the radical, gnarly yeah. personality. He's from South Africa. Yeah. So now we all know who he is and congrats, like, like, he I mean, saved his life. Saved his life. Period. Bottom line, saved his life. Yeah. And Evan will make a full recovery. So we're all yeah. thrilled. Like, that's a hero story. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, stay tuned. Then next is the uh, Rob Machado interview. We are today, we have a special edition of Down the Line Surf Talk. Um, we are in the Firewire uh, conference room and we're talking with. Uh, CEO Mark Price and um, pro surfer Rob Machado and we're super stoked to to be able to um, have you guys on the show and I'll tell you um, you know we've got a new line of surfboards out right so maybe let's just start there um, Mark why don't you tell us about uh, the launch of the Rob Machado surfboards if that's the right way to put it yeah I think so I mean look, we've been a fan of Rob's for years and so it's, it's a thrill for us to get to work with him and I think there's you know there's very few surfers out there that are able to design and shape a really good surfboard. I mean you can count them on one hand, and Rob certainly one of them. So it was a just an incredible opportunity for us, and we're, we're very fired up about it. And the boards look great. And I'll let Rob talk more about the you know the design inspiration and whatnot. But they are going to be coming in Firewise TimberTech technology, which is the most eco board that we make. And Rob's obviously very much involved in sustainability and various environmental initiatives. So I think the design or the, the technology behind the product fits what he's all about. And uh, was, as I said, we're stoked. Man. All right. Well, cool. So, Rob, what, what can we expect from this range of surfboards? Like, how big are they going to be? How small are they going to be? What, what's I have one of your boards. You know, I have like a yeah. mid-length. Yeah. And, um, you know, is that going to be some? So maybe just give us like a rough okay. outline of what this range of Rob Machado surfboards looks like. Yeah, we're, we're going to start off small. You know, I find myself riding a lot of uh, smaller boards kind of, you know, in the 5.2 to 5.5 five, five range is like my kind of go-to. And I think I went into that realm, you know, a few years ago when I was kind of, I started riding fishes and then I started my, like, I, I thought there was a gap that needed to be filled between a fish and a and like a conventional shortboard, you know, but still having that thruster feel, you know. So lowering rockers, you know, kind of going more towards like that real low entry rocker and, and keeping that speed, but then still having that turnability of a thruster. And so to answer your question, I think the boards are, are going to be uh, kind of in that realm, you know, shorter boards, but not your high performance shortboard by any means, more kind of... Uh, so boards with some flow, lower yeah. rocker, some little planing area maybe in the nose, but we can get back on the tail and there's yeah. some tail rocker and we can get kind of funky. Yeah. Yeah. 
exactly with, which is what you ride a lot right? which is what i ride yeah. a lot so it's kind of a, a natural fit you know it's it's i'm excited to, to to get some under my feet and ride them cool i am too i'm looking forward to seeing them now they're going to be available to look at at surf expo or no oh yeah yeah we'll be showing them to the trade you know yeah. at the show but they're already in production so we hope to have them in the market by february march they'll be hitting retail all right so, so we'll how many of these boards are we talking about like a five zero to five ten, or what's well, the range? It's really a basically. Yeah. I need to know if there's something that I can ride. <laughs> no, there are. I mean, they're, they're basically around from five zero to around six six, right? Mm -hmm. And then with the sort of lower rocker and fuller volumes, you know, there's tons of flotation there. I mean, they're not long boards by any stretch, no. you know, but they certainly are user friendly, and, and I think that. Volumes will go up into the probably around the mid forties liters. You know? there's, so some, it, there's something there for you, Scott. Yeah, I'm good. Don't, don't panic. Glad you're thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so there's is it just one design that we're doing like five zero to six ten or whatever, or is there a couple of different variations of this concept? Like, is you know what I'm saying? Is there just like yeah, yeah. one model that runs that range of sizes, or are there a there's going to be two? Okay, yeah. yeah. To, to coming out of the gates, there's going to be two models. Uh, one kind of has a little more of a rounder nose, round tail. One's a squash, kind of more pointier nose. So there's a couple, two different looks for sure. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we'll just keep going from there. Cool. Who knows? Yeah. Now, um, of course, we all know that you worked with Al Merrick for years and years and years. And Al's a dear friend of yours, I, I can say with some authority. Um, and, and I know he was a big, um, you know, shaping mentor. He was a guy you spent a lot of time with in the shaping base. So maybe talk a little bit about that, your relationship with Al and maybe some other guys that are, you know, that inspired you more or less. Yeah, definitely. Well, Al being number one, as far as inspiration goes, you know, I started, when I really started getting into shaping, I didn't realize how much of an effect Al had on me, you know, uh, just all those years of even just standing in the shaping room watching him shape how much you kind of take in and uh you know when it, when i started shaping myself i started like remembering these things that he did and the things that he would say and like how the way he talked about boards and he always uh related to the boards he always talked about water and how, how water would flow through different bottom contours and you know he was that was always on his mind you know and um he was amazing, you know, like I, I got to shape, I don't know how many boards with Al and, you know, I, I cherished that time and, uh, you know, and it's, he was, he was stoked to uh, see me move, move in this direction, you know, and it's, and it's all good. So cool. And, was, and if you're in the shaping bay, is Al somebody you can go, oh man, you know what? I need a little, <laughs> just a little guidance here. Or, you know, like, do you have him on speed dial? Oh no. We we shaped a couple boards about a year ago, me and Al, and uh, it was it was pretty entertaining. We had a good laugh because you know I'd get in there and Al was very particular. You know, even when when I back in the day shaping short boards, I'd get in there. He'd walk out of the room to go do something, and I'd get in there and start just touching anything, and he'd come in and go, hey, 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 whoa, 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 what are you doing? You know, he would get so kind of on edge, you'd almost get a little, possessive, and, a little. Yeah, and so we were shaping a couple boards. It was like a year ago, and. And it was just really funny because he was, he would let me shape, but then he would kind of like just ease his way in, and, you know, like, hold on, hold on, you know, you're not doing that right. And it was, it was pretty, I, I had a blast. It was, it was fun. Cool. Um, I know you spent a lot of time with Brian Szymanski, who's a friend of mine as well. Um, 
is, is he somebody that um, has been an influence, uh, you know, with what you're doing now? For sure. Um, you know, there was a time there where, you know, Al kind of stepped out of the shaping room and, and Brian was doing a lot of shaping for, uh, for Channel Islands. And so I kind of took it upon myself to start making my own boards with Brian, you know, because he was, he had the knowledge of Channel Islands. He'd been trained by them. And, and so we started tinkering and it, it just became a really good relationship that we built. Um, and we still have, you know, he's still a great guy. I still balance ideas around with him all the time. He's building, you know, he's building stand-up race boards. He's just super involved with, you know, kind of the similar concepts we're talking with Al, you know, he's just always trying to make boards faster and he's always, he's really obsessing over, uh, you know, speed and flow and. Yeah. You know, there, there's a fine line, isn't there? I've always said, you know, I want a tweener, you know, I want a board that'll kind of like get going like a fish, but then when I've got the speed, I want to be able to kind of lay it around and do some stuff with it and not spontaneously combust out on the shoulder, you know, <laughs> but I found that tweeners are difficult for me. Like you either get the best of one and not of the other, you know, like a tweeners have been a, diff a difficult concept for me to, to get. I've never been able to get one and I've sort of sworn them off. I'm like, no tweeners, you know, just either get a short board or get a whatever, you know. So is that something, that concept of putting two boards in one is is that something that's been difficult for you? Yeah, it's a challenge. I agree with everything you're saying. Like, because you come off of a fish, and a fish, a fish has such a, you know, specific feeling. You know, it's very, I mean, it's... It's like relaxed fit jeans. It's instant <laughs> speed, but what do I do with it? Yeah, and then you're yeah. just kind of like holding on Track. for your, you know, and, and you're tracking it. And there's a lot of things going on, unless you're Ryan Birch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think there is. It was tough, you know, like there's... There was that blending of the two, you know, lowering the rock around a shortboard, um, you know, coming at it with uh, that approach of, you know, widening tails and, you know, changing things around just to kind of incorporate things from each side of that spectrum. Yeah. And, and, and blending the right. And hopefully we'll, we'll get you you know, not spontaneously combusting. <laughs> That's probably on me. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. not on the design. I was going to say, you're riding the wrong boards. <laughs> yeah, I think I am. No, I'm kidding. But I think that designs today are closer than they've ever been to that marriage. And I think that's part of the reason it's so exciting to be a surfer these days because the, the spectrum is so wide as to what people are willing to try and ride, whereas 10, 15 years ago, it was much narrower. And through that experimentation and that process, I think the, the tweener board is just going to get more and more refined. Yeah. And then you start adding in newer and lighter materials because that's also part of it. It's the weight factor, not just the shape. Yeah. And traditionally, fishers tend to be on the heavier side because they've got a lot of volume. So you're tracking because of the plan shapes and the weight momentum factor as well. So I think there's a lot of variables right now that are breaking up that equation and putting it back together in a much more productive way. Well, maybe um, this would be a good time to tell me a little bit more. I know a lot about the Timber Tech technology, but maybe let the listeners know about um, the Rob Machado boards that are coming out, right? Are they all Timber Tech? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, it, Timber Tech is, is a sandwich construction, which is the way all the firewire boards are built. And what that allows you to do is, you know, a, a traditional surfboard has a two and a half or three pound core, and then obviously you laminate it with whatever lamp schedule you want to put on it. So there's a pretty fixed weight parameter you're dealing with. There aren't a lot of variables to play with, especially if you want to maintain some durability. Yeah, you can put a single four top and bottom and 
chuck a bunch of weight, but then it's not going to hold up for, for too long. Whereas with sandwich construction, you're able to run, so for example, in Tech, we're running one pound cores. So you're able to create a very light core and then through the three millimeters of polonia wood skin through around the entire board, you're creating structural integrity. So you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting a light swing weight, which gives you the maneuverability, but you've got the durability of, of a pretty strong surfboard. And I think that's the game-changing nature of sandwich construction, in our opinion, is you don't have to make that harsh trade-off between weight and strength. Cool. Um, Rob, you mentioned Ryan Birch. I know that I saw on Instagram that Ryan was out um, at Seaside and Tom Kern was out at Seaside and you were out at Seaside just a couple of days ago. And that's, that's quite a, a uh, that's quite a crew of style masters. I imagine it was pretty awesome to watch. Um, but um, Birch and even Tom Curran just showing up sort of randomly because I know he's not a regular there. But um, And he was riding something crazy off the wall skimboard with some stupid, not yeah. stupid, but <laughs> out there fins, I should say. Right. Um, what was that like? And tell me about your relationship with Ryan specifically because he's a guy that I know you'd spend a lot of time in the water with. Yeah, for sure. Well, that day was, it was interesting, for sure. Did yeah. you get on that skimboard? No, I didn't yeah. get to ride it, but... Um, you know, Tom's been riding this skimboard. I, I, you know, I heard he's been doing it for a while now. Like, no fins? No, he has fins in them, and the yeah. fins are pretty wacky, too. Yeah. I think they're yeah. kind of like, look like there's, they have like an alien head on them. Or yeah, something. they're long. Aren't they like five inches or are something? They? I, from what I could tell, I just saw an Instagram post. Okay. They look kind of wacky. Yeah. yeah. So he, he, actually, he actually paddles out on a soft top, a small soft top, like a little five-footer with a skimboard on top of it. And then he paddles out the back because you can't really paddle a skimboard, right, right? right? So he gets out the back and then he, he just, when a set comes, he pushes his, his, his foamy just on a wave, just like to get it out of the way. And then he, he actually catches the wave on the skimboard. Oh, he paddles it So really. he kind of like almost swims into it like, and then gets up on the thing. And, I, you know, I saw him flying down the line. Like I didn't really get to see too many waves of him, yeah. you know, riding it like on an open face or anything. But... I'm sure he rides it well. He rides yeah. anything well, yeah. you know. But uh, but yeah, you know, I've, Ryan Birch. I've had the opportunity to sort of watch him grow up as a, a little skinny little kid. He always caught my attention because he had a similar kind of build as me. Mm -hmm. You know, we were like the tall, lanky kids, mm -hmm. um, and uh, just his ability to. Uh, adjust to situations you know like yeah. he was one of the few kids that really kind of figured out seaside yeah you know he was one of those kids that kind of understood the wave and really dissected it mm -hmm. and uh and then started building his own equipment kind of for that wave you know and and his equipment evolved and evolved and went crazy places and it's rad i've he's built me a bunch of boards and and they're they're awesome man he makes really interesting cool stuff that that work yeah. yeah, and they're and it's he's turned into an incredible surfer, incredible longboarder. Uh, we've done a few trips. He's he's fun to hang out with. Um, when are these boards going to be available to demo? When can a, a consumer, somebody that's listening to the show, uh, get their hands on one? About the same time they get to retail. You know, they're all going to arrive around the same time. So we'll be running demos in February and March to coincide with the boards being at retail. All right, cool. Chewy will be up and down the coast, uh, as usual. Right. And, um, you know, Rob, you mentioned before we went on air about the Piahi event, the big wave event. Um, 
That's some pretty incredible stuff, right? It's pretty, sort of a groundbreaking day for surfing. Well, it was a groundbreaking day for surfing. And, um, and, and it was quite entertaining from a, from a, um, from a fan's point of view, you yeah. know, from my perspective. Um, I can be pretty critical of long, boring, big wave events that don't have very many waves, but gosh, it was good. And, yeah. and they did a good job. The production crew did a good job of sort of conveying it and making you feel special that you were watching it, you know? Yeah. And I know you, you mentioned you saw it. So do you have any thoughts that you can share with us on what you saw yesterday at Piahi? Yeah, I had, a, I had very similar feelings, you know? I was kind of, I was going into it a little nervous. I mean, when you talk to these guys about their sessions out there, you know, these guys say, yeah, I surfed for four or five hours and rode one wave, you know? And you're thinking, like, how is this going to translate into a heat? You put these guys out there for an hour, they might not catch a wave, you know what I mean? But that was so not the case. And that was that's what, like, just turned it for me. Like, that first heat, you know, guys were just hucking themselves, <laughs> man. They were going for it. Because, I mean, that wave is doesn't look user-friendly at all. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you have to, like, put yourself in the zone, and yeah. the, the consequences are in, intense. Well, um, what about the regular tour? Are you a fan of the regular tour? I'm a guy that sort of gets involved. I, I enjoy watching it. Um, and I often wonder, you know, are, are professional surfers, you know, watching this stuff go down, or is it just me? You know? <laughs> and, and guys like me that are, like, frothing on professional surfers ripping, you know? <laughs> So is it, when, a, when a CT comes on, is it something that you plan your day around, or do you even watch it, or are you... <laughs> I think I know the answer to this question. I definitely don't plan my day around it. Um, I do watch. Yeah. You know, I think the bottom line is that we surf, and we're fans of surfing, and we, wanna, we enjoy watching great surfers in potentially great waves. You know, if there's going to be a great day of surf... You know, like yesterday was a good example. Like yeah. there was a forecasted yeah. day. Like if we know that pipe is going to be eight to ten feet in a couple of days, and they're going to run the contest, that's probably a day I'm definitely going to sit down and watch a few heats for sure. There are events that I turn on and I turn off pretty quick. You know, and yeah. That's just because the waves and yeah. the environment, and you know, it's look. We see a lot of surfing. It's yes. pretty much thrown at us. So there's got to be a moment, right, where there's some competitive fury, where there's excitement, there's a, yeah. a reason to, to see it all. Yeah, and, and it is inspiring to see the level of surfing these days. And, it, and for us, we've been around for as long as we have to think back, you know, on the progression of the sport. I mean, and then you think 10 years out from now what guys would be doing. It's, it's pretty exciting. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, 15 years ago, right about this time maybe another week i was lucky enough to be on the beach you may have been there to see rob win his pipeline masters event against mick Lowe, and it was insane and the waves were as you remember right you know better than me sheet glass super good pipe just flawless more or less pipe and um i imagine i don't know if you knew it was 15 years ago i know you know about it but um it seems i think it was 15 years ago in a couple of weeks <laughs> that long. 2000 it was 2000 yeah, yeah. it's 2015 so well yeah i'm going to hawaii actually because 20 years ago was when me and kelly high-fived that pipe oh yeah 95. That I remember. right yeah <laughs> and that was that was exactly 20 years ago so they made wow. they made a little video uh this the guys from uh, inertia made a little high-five movie they're going to release oh cool yeah that's great. Well, I mean, story. that that was, um, I imagine that was uh, one of the big highlights of your competitive career, winning the Pipeline Masters. 
Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. I would say the highlight. Yeah. For sure. You know, it was, uh, that day was crazy. It was a magical day. I served uh, four heats that day. And it was, it was, it was wild because when I showed up at the beach that morning in the dark, it was, it was maxed out. It was washing through on the second reef. No one was even sitting on the first reef. And it was like, it looked wild and wooly. And it was, I had the first heat of the morning. And uh, I remember I, I served against Pedersen Rosa in the Mad first dog. heat. And, well, he was gnarly. Yeah, like, he, he was went for it, man. Oh, for like, sure. He didn't give it. No, no. You know, and uh, we paddled out and it was like, it was kind of, we're in that middle zone, like no man's zone between first and second reef, trying to get into first reef to pick off these like in-betweeners, yeah. you know, that were still big and gnarly yeah. and it was backwashy and it was just... High tide in the morning. And I remember... Like he got an eight on a wave, which was like, just how, where'd you find that? He got this chip shot into this little double up and, and not, not, not little, but I ended up in the last like 10 seconds of the heat, caught a wave. I was in second and I, I caught a wave and I needed a 5.3 and I got a 5.5 on the wave, you know, and squeaked through this heat. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like I just felt like. I dodged the, such a bullet, you know, and uh, and then so they they went on and ran the next seven heats before the quarter started, and in that time frame, the waves just, you know, the swell was dying. Right. The swell just backed off enough where it was just not breaking on the second reef anymore, and it was like flawless. The trades kicked in, and in my quarterfinal heat, I served against Andy. Yeah. And I think Andy had just beat Kelly mm. in the heat before, and he was just like. He was a lunatic. And, and, and that was like one of the heats that I remember that stood out to me besides the final as like the highlight of the event for me, mm. you know, just beating Andy sure. and, and having like, I watched him take off on like a 10 foot double up, just slid down the face sideways and like pulled up into this thing and thank God it closed out because it would have been a 12, yeah. you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, that he was definitely a memory for sure. But then the whole event was, you know, like going on and, and beating Mick Lowe in the final and uh, just the way it all went down was. It's interesting when you squeak through, and you can speak to this better than I, but I do know that when you squeak through a heat, you, there's always, when a day of competition, there's always one heat where you almost need to get lucky or something needs to happen. And, and once that happens, you're like, okay, that was the heat where I snuck through. And now things may line up real nice for me and certainly I think that was the case for you I mean what a what an incredible day I mean just so good and I know Mick Lowe was stoked too and he got yeah. second and <laughs> he was charging it and oh, it was so just remember a, the wave he got in the semis yeah Shane Doran yeah, yeah. against Shano he just free fell in the, on this like 10 12 footer and stuck at the bottom and pulled up and just got blown through this cavern and he took some gas in the final. I don't think I've it. ever seen Rob fall. Like I don't, I can't recall seeing Rob Machado fall off of the way. Yeah, but I remember Mick Lowe was taking <laughs> some gas. Like he was done. Basically, he's just like, I'm happy to be here, second place, whatever. It's all good. I remember that's that's kind of throughout the final. We were kind of going back and forth, trading scores, and I got a decent wave, and I was paddling back out, and it was like a rewind of that heat with Shane. Yeah, he could have he could have done really well. He, he took off on this ten footer, and I was just going, oh, yeah, wow, here it is, like. He, and it was this apex, and he, his nose caught exactly. at the bottom, and he just cartwheeled oh, over the handlebars, and just, 
and like got washed to the beach. And I remember I went out and that next, my next wave, I got a bomb and, and got, got a 10. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. it was, but those are the moments you're just like, Oh no, I'm going to watch him get a 10 right in front of me. Yeah. You know, and it didn't happen. What about, um, this new crew of, um, surfers on the CT specifically, there's a crew of Brazilians that are pretty dynamic, pretty incredible. Um, the, there was a final in Portugal, which, which featured, um, I think it was Idolo and um, Felipe. And these guys were pushing the limits. I mean, it's been argued on my show that the surfing that Felipe Toledo is doing in competition with a jersey on can't be matched anywhere by anyone without, with or without a jersey on, especially that final. And I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was pretty mind-blowing. It set similar to yesterday at Piahi, it was sort of a groundbreaking day as far as guys busting just the craziest aerials, but again, in the, in the format of, you know, surfing competition. Um, going into pipeline, um, we've got Gabe Medina who could actually win the title again if things go his way. Yeah. And we've got these other young Brazilian goofy foots who quite frankly are pretty damn exciting. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on the Brazilian contingent? They're insane. I mean, like you said, they are, they're like, Philippe is, he's pushing the, the envelope of surfing, like through the roof. Like, I mean, like you said, I mean, in a Jersey, out of a Jersey, it doesn't matter. It seems like he actually tr tries harder in a Jersey, you know, I, I haven't seen his, his, his video yet that he just released a few weeks ago, yeah. but I'm sure that's pretty nuts as well. Yeah. But man, that's like. What these guys do on a on a daily basis, you wonder how they still have ankles and knees. I mean, a lot of them have suffered injuries, and and I'm sure they'll suffer more because it's uh, it's pretty uh, intense what yeah. they're putting their bodies through. Yeah, I think his rail game is completely underappreciated because he's so unbelievable in the air, and I think he's also underscored in the air because he's got on lockdown now that, that the judge, he has to do something so extraordinary to get a 10, yeah. whereas any, anyone else would get a 9-5 doing half the things he does, and he scores eights for it. Yeah. Uh, well, but he, he's carving, you yeah. know, and the way he, he lands floaters and continues his projection around the sections and stuff, I mean, yeah. technically, yeah. He, his surfing is, is phenomenal on every level. Yeah, uh, kid blows my mind and inspires me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and it and it carries over to the whole group of them. You know, I mean, Italo and Miguel and Gab. I mean, there's Wiggly, Wig Wiggly. Yeah. I mean, kid's insane. Poopo is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, there's a, a, a lot, and there's this new yeah. kid. There's they're just I know they're like yeah. multiplying. <laughs> They'll keep coming, man. It's, they will. They have so much desire and so yeah. much, you know. That's drive. interesting, actually. They do have incredible desire and drive to be world champions, to be competitive surfers. Something I would suggest is sort of missing from North American kids that are on the QS. That are like when I look, I, I'm I'm constantly want to wave the flag for America, you know, especially North America. You know, I know there's Hawaii over there, and I'm not yeah. Hawaiian. I want Californians and East Coast guys, and we of course we have Kelly, and um, we have Nat Young, but. Really, after that, I mean, I'm looking at Kanoe Igarashi as the guy I'm going to start waving the flag for, right? And Connor Coffin Connor will be sure. good, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's my. It seems like how come there's not 20 Californians that have that fire and that drive that the Brazilians have? 
And is it perhaps because they've been maybe given too much too soon? Like, think about it. I mean, if you're given a huge contract from whoever, whatever company, mm-hmm. and, and they're like, here, just go out there and do Instagrams and rip and shred, and it's all good. You know, it's like, okay, that sounds like fun. You know, I would sign that deal. But we lose some of the competitive fervor, perhaps, in North America. Our culture, specifically the subculture of the surf industry, are they at fault? Anyway, I've opened up a big Pandora's box, but that it's is. interesting. It is. It's a... Uh, I- I, you don't I, have to comment if it's going to get you <laughs> No, no. I mean, I, I think back to when I, I grew up, you know, in my amateur days, and we weren't allowed to get paid, you know? And I thought that was a great thing, you know? Back at the time, I probably didn't think so. Right. And guys were probably getting paid under the table. Kelly was, I think. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I started getting paid when I was 18. And you mean I was, your, their gotcha contract? No. First gotcha contract? No, right. before that. Mm-hmm. And, and it was under the table and I was getting 500 bucks a month, you know, mm-hmm. and that was my senior year in high school. Right. So you got to think about that, you know, we could win prize money, but it would go into a bank account automatically. Right. And you could use it. You could say, hey, I'm going on a trip. I need to use this, you know, blah, blah, right. blah. So I agree. You know, I think there was something neat about that time because, you know, we, we didn't have a lot. Yeah. We, we didn't have a lot to work with, man. You, you know, it's like. Yeah. I know it's different now, and like kids are traveling all over the world at really young ages. But I, I don't know. There's, yeah. I, I think you, you know, you. It definitely, frustrates me a little as a fan because I, I agree. I want to, I want to fly the flag. Yeah. And, you know, I'm stoked for Connor and Kanoa, but I'm looking around, going, "Where's the next kid? You know, yeah. where are these kids?" Like, well, and sadly, there's a bunch of them, and none of them are stepping up to the plate. Like when, yeah. like I could riddle off, and I'm not gonna because I don't want to pinpoint anyone. But there are a mm-hmm. bunch of kids with tons of potential, right. and you're like, "Okay, well, when are you gonna be in the top ten of the CT?" I don't mean like the lower tier scrambling to qualify every year. I mean a guy that we can pin our hopes on. Yeah. I think it it also it's also about where does your drive come from, and what I mean by that is. Yeah, when I was growing up, I wanted to be, and I didn't accomplish it, but I wanted to be the world champion. I mean, it was like a burning desire. And yeah. it, to me, it wouldn't have mattered where I grew up or what economic background I came from. Right. That's what I wanted to accomplish. Yeah. And that's what drove me. And, you know, I fell short of that, but it certainly was a huge motivator. So I, I don't know why someone who has the talent to be the world champion and is, and is a competitive surfer, because some people have talent and want to free surf, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're in the competitive environment and you want to be a world champion, that should be enough to create phenomenal drive. And I, I don't know why it doesn't in, in certain individuals and in certain areas of the world, because you're right. I mean, clearly the Brazilians, and maybe just as a culture, they just are more competitive in the sporting world, because you look at other sports, soccer, motorcycle, uh, you know, Formula One racing and whatnot, I mean, they seem to be pretty competitive and aggressive or a little bit more so than other cultures. And maybe it's just American culture I don't know. is not I, as competitive. I think we're competitive as all get out. I think America, I mean, when you think yeah. about it, right? Look at, um, Mac, or, like, look at tennis, look at golf, like, look at Jordan Spieth. Like, these guys are into it, you know? So I know what you're saying, and I think there is, like, some, some like, machismo pride that maybe we don't have we're a little bit more understated in our in our competitive sort of angst but um i wouldn't say i wouldn't say that north americans aren't competitive no i wouldn't say that they not let me ask you this is connor coffin i don't know the kid but i I love his surfing Mm -hmm. does he have it because we i know he comes from santa barbara he's you know he's you know he's going to be okay if he doesn't make it 
But so does he have the inward thing that we're talking about? Does Connor Coffin, somebody that can go, you know what, in three or four years after he goes through the seasons a few times, is he going to be a guy that's in the top five at this time next year in five years? Is he going to be like in the showdown for the for the world title? We should ask her that question. <laughs> well, I, do you know I, I Connor? Know I don't know him. I know him well enough to answer that. What do you I think? do know Connor. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? We don't know the answer to that question. Right. Because mm-hmm. until he puts on a jersey at Snapper and goes through a couple events, like that's when the real, like he's, he's entering the show. Right. You know, like he's not playing double A ball down at, you know, wherever. He's like getting called up to go into Petco Park and play the game yeah you know and it's like that's when you really like step into a new platform a new playing field it's a whole new deal yeah and how he handles that we don't know how did he you might, handle that how was it rise. for you when you when you were a rookie on tour and, and do you were, were you so young that, and and i don't want to use the word naive but were you just you, you know you didn't even maybe acknowledge it. Plus, you'd been in the competitive arena, but Connor has too. Yeah. I mean, do you recall what was going through your mind, or were you just like, yeah, another contest, you know, just a slightly different level? I mean, no, no, I definitely entered it just kind of like in awe, you know, like you get who there. Who were you going against then? Like Barton Lynch's? Barton and Damien, and, and Potts was still in the mix. And, you know, it's like, I think even Tom Carroll, my last, my first year on tour was his last, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I was just like, whoa, like, I'd never these are the guys been, I looked up to. That, that I've never even been around these guys. Right. I've been on the QS and like surfing the Bud Pro Tour in California. That's right. how I qualified. Right. So all of a sudden you're thrown in events with these guys, Dave McCauley, Rob Bain, you know, and you're just kind of like, whoa, is it how, like what do I do? Yeah. You know, and I think I started off terrible. Like I just I couldn't make, make it through a heat because I was just so like excited about being places like whoa 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 hey look there's so and so and like right you were a fan I was a total (laughs) totally geeked out fan yeah and it was cool I got to watch all these guys surf and be around them and and it was great and it took me until like uh, I had kind of a breakthrough moment I think it was like more the second half of the year uh, in Japan I had a couple events where I started making through a couple heats you know and like beating a few guys and and had some success and then you start to gain this confidence of like hey these guys are beatable like i can do this you know and like build yourself up and 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 just start start yeah. saying hey screw it I'm it's, go it's quite it. mental at that point isn't it you yeah know? because we know you have the talent and you just got to get you just got to tell yourself it's like hitting a good golf shot it's like look you did it on the range just yeah. do it on the golf course you know like it's all up here but that's why i think the, the nature of competitive surfing is is another hurdle you have to clear because, for example, in most other sports, you're on a fixed terrain, and on that particular day, if you outplay your opponent, you will most likely win. Whereas surfing has this giant variable, which is waves and rhythm to the ocean. And you can train and, and gear your mind and influence that to some degree, but there is a certain ran- randomness to the waves that come through and who gets them. And I think that shouldn't be understated. Because there's guys, you can make or break it based on a couple of heat scores, whether you qualify or re-qualify. And in that particular heat, it could come down to one wave that didn't come through when it needed to, or your opponent got it instead of you, or whatever it is. You know, it wasn't about whether your top turn was better than his or worse or whatever. And I think that that's a, from a, a competitive emotional standpoint, that's, that's something you really have to deal with. Yeah, you know, the WSL's done a really good job of, of sort of 
trying to take that out of the equation. They have. You know, they're like, look, we're going to do it at Trestles. You've got 35 minutes, catch two waves. It's not that hard. And, you know, Chopu's one little peak. I mean, not a little peak, but it's, you know, a contained takeoff. And my question to you guys is this. I feel like the world title should run through Sunset Beach. I don't think you should be a world champion without competing on the CT at Sunset Beach. Now, there's a variable that it, this is exactly what they don't want, right? But me, and this is just my personal opinion, that, look, that's a man wave with man consequences and a lot going on. And some of the best surfers in the world that became world champions went through that spot, you know? And you, you look back and you talk to Rabbit or Kong or or whoever, like a lot of guys, right? They're like, sunset's the deal. You know, it's the real deal. Now, understanding that it is what it is, do you think that Gab, Gab, uh, Gabriel Medina and these guys should go through Sunset Beach to be a world top, to be a world champion? Personally, I, I don't think it's, I don't think so, Scott, because they've got Chopu, they've got Cloudbreak, they've got Pipe. You know, I think they're already... Again, though, my, my argument is that those hurdles. spots are, I agree, they're gnarly ways. Yeah, I mean... But, but they're not – like the thing about Sunset, there's so much lore, so much history. There's so much to Sunset. Like it's kind of like – it's when you think of the North Shore, I think of Sunset Beach. Um, maybe I'm uh, waving the flag for Sunset too hard here. But <laughs> I, it's way more spread out than Chopu and Cloud. Cloud right. is pretty gnarly. Look, but. You know, look Sunset, it, I think we would all agree at eight feet plus is probably the most difficult eight-foot-plus wave to ride. I mean, okay. Therefore, yeah. should so, the world so champion be able to basis. at least go through that? Like, I, I, I'm not saying win it. I'm just saying yeah, yeah. A, a CT that goes through that. By the way, Gabe Medina, uh, Gabe Medina did great out there. And, and look, he to ripped turn, it. To turn that around, you know, going, coming back to the Connor Coffin discussion, based on how he surfed Sunset, I'm yeah. thinking he's going to make he it. He looked great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts on Sunset? You're yeah. a goofy foot. I'm sure you don't like the wave. Do you like the wave? What's No, I love the wave. Yeah. I don't like competing out there. Yeah. You know, I think it's a super fun wave to surf. Yeah, too much variable. Though. I just never want to turn. I just like riding the wave and just like highlining. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I do. Like I remember I had a heat out there and uh, it was with Mike Ho, Richard Schmidt, and Dave McCauley. It was like one of my first years out there and it was 15 feet. It was... That must have been heavy. And I was tripping. Like I was scared out of my mind. And I paddled out with those guys. I'm like, at least I'm with like guys who know what's going on. You know, right. these guys are like legends out here. Yeah. And the set came and everyone caught a wave and there was no fourth wave. And I was Ooh. just like... <laughs> kind of relieved? No, I was chillers, dude. I was like, Where is what the heck? Now what do I do? You know, like... And I remember I caught a couple waves in that heat. I was riding like an 8-0 and I... I rode them all the way to the end and kicked out and got a three, you know, like just cause yeah. I just go down the line, you know, <laughs> it was a really hard way for me to surf personally is yeah. if I'm like actually trying to compete, right? you know, you have to, you have to tackle it with a different mindset, you know, and ride shorter boards and like, you, these guys are ripping that wave yeah. nowadays, you know, I think John John's riding like a six, four out there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We were in seven, eights, eight O's. Yeah. yeah it's a different that, approach. That size. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do get it. I do get it that it's a diff, it's, it, it's, you know, it's a different beast. I'm, I'm just all caught up in, you know, these guys should have to surf sunset. And I don't know where that comes well, but, from. Well, but and then where do you draw the line? Should they have to surf Waimea? You know, I mean, no, no. I think that sunset covers the Waimea equation. Yeah. You know, it's like this. It's it's a wave of consequence where it's like, yeah, well, I do need to bring an eight O to Hawaii or borrow yeah. it. Or whatever. Yeah. But I I also get the other side of the coin. I understand that it's it's you know 
also from a production standpoint, from a broadcast standpoint, from the WSL standpoint, it's it's the kind of wave that unless you've surfed it, you don't really appreciate watching it. But if you've surfed it, you're like, wow, this is going to be good. Yeah, 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 totally. It's one of those waves. Yeah, it's it's. I've gotten lost out there, and you know, I mean, you're paddling over giant lefts at some point, and you know, it's mm -hmm. it's wild and woolly, big playing field, and it moves around. And guys who surf good out there surf really good out there, and it definitely exposes flaws. Yeah, you know. Mm. All right, so um, let's wrap this up. Rob Machado surfboards. Is, do we still have the Rob Machado logo that you've been putting out there? That, that yeah. cool little. What is that insignia? How did that come up? Did, that did is one of your daughters do that, or how did that happen? <laughs> no, no. It's uh, it's actually um, it was my great great grandfather's uh, cattle brand. He had a ranch, a fourteen thousand acre ranch, and uh, right right basically where Marina del Rey is back to Culver City up to like Venice cool yeah so Very cool. that was his his cattle brand and I kind of resurrected it and, and used it as a logo now cool yeah and is that the logo we'll see on the Robin Child Surfboard yeah. yeah yeah cool and yeah. we'll see the boards this spring we're excited hopefully we'll be able to demo some of them at the boardroom we'll find one for you Scott Oh yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, you. I'm excited to get going. <laughs> get, yeah, it'll be good. So anyway, um, have I covered everything? Is there anything else that we need to touch on? I don't know. That was We're a good conversation. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You can actually. Have you guys seen uh, Sterling Spencer's new movie, Gold? No. It's out. Mm -hmm. Gold. All right. I'm actually riding one of the, the Creeper. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm actually riding a Creeper model. Creepers one of the models. It's not a Firewire build, but right. it was one yeah. of the early uh, boards. So okay, is creeper the the more pulled it's, in nose or no, the round? It's, it's kind of the round nose. Yeah, <laughs> creeper. So. so where did almond butter come from? Because that's the name of the other model. Almond butter. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool. The name? Yeah. The nose looks like an almond, and the the tail looks like a stick of butter. Like you know. So the creeper and almond butter. And the creeper was yeah. named after my car. <laughs> that's fitting. <laughs> my van. Yeah. 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 So you dropped an Audi. No, no, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, so the Creeper and Almond Butter coming um, this spring to yep. surf shops around the world, I imagine, right? Absolutely. Cool. Well, it's exciting times for Firewire and for Rob Machado and um, for surfers everywhere. I'm excited to get to get going on one. It's going to be fun. Thanks, yeah. thanks, guys. Thanks for being yeah, here. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. And there you have it, yet again, another supersized episode of Surf Splendor. Hope you enjoyed that. Shout out to Rob and Mark Price for um, taking time to do that. Shout out for Scott for conducting the interview. Um, really appreciate it. Hope that you guys enjoyed as the listener. If you did, all that we ask is that you tell a friend about it, share it. That is how this show grows. We don't advertise. We rely on you and your word of mouth. And then we... We'll gladly do our part by producing the content. That's how this works, all right? Thank you for doing that. Good news. I'll be back next week, the week of Christmas. I'm going to drop a new episode on you early in the week, um, and that is uh, with William Finnegan, the author of Barbarian Days. So you can look forward to that. If you don't have that book already, you should. If you do have it, you should gift it to people who like reading or who like surfing or anyone in your life it's really it's a great christmas gift and by the time you listen to that interview it might be too late to actually get it so this is your preemptive 
Uh, encouragement and warning, get on the bandwagon of Barbarian Days. You'll enjoy that piece with William next week. All right? Look forward to that. Until then, get on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then, of course, join us on social media at Surfsplendor. You can engage in the conversation. It's not just between Scott and I. We want to involve you and include you in it. All right? We always appreciate your feedback. All right? Well, until next week, this is David Scales encouraging you. Get in the water, catch a couple waves, and shred on.